Celtic status. And you start to see these coins come in, gold coins coming in around about you know, 200 BC. Mm -hmm. And it's the start of money in, on the British Isles, really. If you think about the nature of inflation, you start off with silver as bullion being worth X, you know, a given amount. And that rises over time. So the coins get smaller and smaller and smaller. The penny is a classic example of that. It starts in Anglo-Saxon, you know, you get an Anglo-Saxon penny, which is about the same sort of size as a, we have a penny today made in silver. By the time you get through to sort of the, the Stuart period, it's become so tiny, you know, it's, you could lose it e very, very easily. And then you start to get a process of whereby base metals start to take that place. So you get copper used, for example, in the, in the reign of Charles II for mm. half pennies and farthings. Mm. You just could not do that with silver. Mm. You know, the value of silver was so high that, you know, it's such a small piece. But it's interesting. Do you think psychologically we had to start somewhere where you could say to somebody, look, this, this is a very precious metal I'm making this coin out of, therefore it's worth something, before you can then move to the point where you can say, well, you know that silver coin, well, actually I've got a cheaper metal here, but it's the same. Yeah, so I mean, psychologically, you have to move. I that. think there probably is a, a good psychological element to that because what you're dealing with is a, is a concept of trust. So the person you're giving this coin or money to has to believe it's worth a certain amount. And initially, we put our trust in gold and silver. And I think there's a sort of progression along that path towards moving away from that because, yet again, inflation over time that becomes more and more valuable. But you still need to trade, still need to do things. You can't do it to silver, you start to look to other means. Copper comes in, for example. At a certain point, we all just accepted the big switcheroo. We'd learned to trust the coin, not the material it was made of. And perhaps more importantly, we trusted the institutions that stood behind those coins. One of the most plausible answers to that question, what is money, how can Bitcoin work, is that money, fundamentally, when it comes down to it, is trust. And if you can trust in the system, then it has value. And if enough people trust in it, all those people can use it, it has value. And with Bitcoin, that has been the case. It's been really volatile, the wild swings in value and so on. But what seems to be the case is that while it has a use and it can do something that ordinary money can't, it will continue to have value. That's my, that's my own personal opinion, that as long as it can be used on the dark web to buy, say, drugs, it's going to have value. In a way, Bitcoin is just like any other currency. You can use your pounds or dollars to buy it, and there's an exchange rate, as with all other currencies. And you can change your Bitcoin back into dollars and pounds. As more and more people used Bitcoin, the trust levels went up and the currency boomed. But that's not actually the full story. There's another, darker reason why Bitcoin took off. You see, because the currency is digital, money can be transferred online without necessarily going through a bank account or ever being linked to an actual, real-world identity. It therefore offers the promise of keeping your transactions anonymous. And guess who's interested in that? Cybersecurity consultant Jessica Barker explains. So when Bitcoin was established, it led to a huge uptake in people using the dark web. Because here it's, you know, it's like a perfect recipe, isn't it? You've got a largely anonymous network, you know, you've kind of got the marketplace to do anything and essentially evade law enforcement. All you need is a way of 
facilitating that trade. You need money because so often, you know, with investigations, so often with criminal, you know, activity on the internet, the money trail gives us the answers as to who is behind criminal activity. So if you can take away that money trail and if you can come up with a currency where everyone is anonymous, then you've got a perfect recipe for the dark web. And that's exactly what happened. Bitcoin was the currency of choice for a wildly popular dark web drugs marketplace called Silk Road. Until it was shut down by US law enforcement in 2013, the site's drug dealers churned through an estimated $1.2 billion worth of transactions, all in Bitcoin. This crime wave helped rocket fuel the currency's value. At the beginning of 2011, you'd have paid around $1 for each Bitcoin. Five years later, the same Bitcoin would cost you 400 bucks. So, if Bitcoin is a currency, where's the bank? Who makes Bitcoin and how? The people behind it aren't like regular finance folks. The currency was born out of hacker chic. And even though it's getting mainstream attention...